There are certain moments in our lives which stick in our hearts as human beings. Moments that we will remember for many years to come. Perhaps this for Peter was one of those moments. Just like when Christ called him the rock was probably one of those moments. So also when Christ turned to him and said you are an obstacle, a moment probably stuck in his heart. Likewise for the prophet Jeremiah, the cry of his heart, you duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. That moment probably stuck in his heart. One of those moments for me occurred around the feast of St. John Vianney a few years ago when I was called to the hospital room of a three-week-old baby boy. The little boy had been in the NICU his entire life outside the womb, and the doctors had exhausted every effort to help him survive, but to no avail. I was called as a chaplain to be present and minister to the family as the doctors delivered this horrible news that there was no longer any human hope for the child's survival. I cannot adequately with words describe the anguish of the parents in that room. Devastated is a severe understatement. My heart too broke for them in that moment broke for their little boy. Even remembering it in this moment um, is difficult. The family was Catholic, and I was able to find a priest to come to baptize and confirm the little boy. This was still when I was a seminarian. The parents, overcome with anguish, then decided that it would be best for them to say their goodbyes, and they left the hospital. I returned to be with the doctors and nurses as they removed life support from the child. And as we took turns holding this child, this little beautiful baby boy, who slowly faded away, there was not a dry eye in the room. I offered the prayers for the dead and for the dying, and I, I knew the hope that I had within me because the child had been baptized. Prayers also were said for the consolation for the parents and for the doctors and the nurses who had cared for the child. It was a difficult moment, to say the least, a moment that I would have much preferred never to have experienced. But what was so strange about the experience is that I both wanted to be there and didn't want to be there at the same exact time. See, those are the moments that we often remember for the rest of our lives. When I heard that a baby was dying that morning in the hospital, I didn't want to go to the room because I knew, I knew that I would suffer as a result. But at the same time, I knew with unshakable certainty, brothers and sisters, that God was calling me to be in precisely that place at that time with those people. I knew God had called me to be a witness, to bear witness to the hope which comes only from Him, a hope which surpasses all human capacity without grace. 
It was for me, brothers and sisters, a prophetic moment. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, if we read the Bible, the prophet is a spokesman, a herald who speaks in the name of God. He is one called by God to speak, to speak hope. And while the prophets sometimes predicted future events, they did so only insofar as was necessary to confirm the authenticity, the trueness of their message. Likewise, any miracles that they were able to accomplish were done in order to show that they were really authentic prophets of God, that they spoke with the Word of God. And so while prophecy often involves words and miracles in the Scriptures, neither of those two things are essential to it. Rather, the witness of life of the prophet is the definitive measure of the prophet. This witness is, it encompasses everything, right? It encompasses his words and his actions, but it goes far beyond them. His way of acting, his or her way of acting, follows from his way of being, which is always in communion with God. The prophet desires, above all, to be in communion with God. And it is from this communion with Him that His desire to act according to His will springs. The prophet recognizes that he or she is called to the witness that he has, to witness to the hope that he has within him. And he knows that if he doesn't stay with God, if he doesn't remain with God first, if that, if God is not the person that he desires to be with, to be in communion with the most, his prophecy will be in vain. In fact, if he stops following God or rejects the message he has given, his false prophecy will be destructive. It will lead to evil. It will lead to suffering. The prophet recognizes also that the call to bear witness while remaining in communion with the Lord always comes at a personal cost. The lives of the prophets as we read them throughout the Old Testament Scriptures were unusually and usually difficult. They were often despised by those they were trying to help. The ones they loved rejected them because they sometimes had to speak the truth which opposed the prevailing current of thought. They also bore the personal anguish of knowing that often this rejection would cause these people, these people that they loved so much, the ones that they loved, to greatly suffer. If you want a great example of this, go read the prophet Jeremiah. In the face of this great personal cost, Jeremiah cries out so humanly this morning, You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. You're asking me to do something, Lord, that I don't want to do. And I'm letting you do that because I want to be with you. He's tired. He doesn't want to be a prophet anymore. He's, he's tired of preaching to people who won't listen. He's in anguish because the words of the Lord which 
could and should be the instruments of the salvation of those that he loves, of his people, they fall on deaf ears and hardened hearts over and over again. So he stands as a lonely, a tragic figure whose mission seems to have failed utterly. Yet his failure was his triumph, as later ages were able to recognize. He was overwhelmed by the sheer burden of his humanly impossible task. His prayer is the prayer of our Lord in Gethsemane. Thy will be done, not my will be done. Jeremiah's anguish is the anguish of every parent who has seen the child they love choose something they know will be harmful to them. It's the anguish of the one who pleads with a friend to do what is right and fails to move them to do so. It's the anguish of the counselor who can't seem to help the young person to choose what is right. It's the anguish of the pastor who has to speak the high call of the gospel in a world so broken. It's the anguish of every Christian who chooses to do what is right but fails to see a difference on a human scale. It, brothers and sisters, is the anguish of integrity, of being true to one's call. But more than this, brothers and sisters, it's the image of the anguish of the Father's own heart which desires that all men come to Him and live. It's the anguish of the Father who cried out, Where are you? After man had fallen from grace in the beginning. It foreshadows the anguish of Christ's own heart who is so moved with compassion when He sees the crowds. It's the anguish of Christ when He drives the money changers from the temple. The anguish of Jesus today as He tells Peter, Get behind me, Satan. It's the anguish of Christ who offers Judas every chance to repent of his plan to betray him. It's the anguish of Christ on the cross who dies even for those who will reject his love, who died even for Judas to give him a chance to repent. This prophetic anguish is the cross, a failure from every human perspective, but which stands as the focal point of all history. And it is precisely from this anguish of having failed in every human sense of the word that testimony is given, that the greatness of God and the hope we have in him is made clear. Because Christ remained in communion with his Father, submitting his human will to the divine will, and thus the folly of the cross becomes the salvation of all. For Christ came to what was His own, and His own people rejected Him. But to those who receive Him, He gives the power to be sons and daughters of God, born from the very will of God, and capable of seeing His glory. You see, Peter echoes Jeremiah's anguish today. He rejects the cross. He doesn't want the anguish of witnessing his friend, this man who he hopes in, fail. We should remember, brothers and sisters, that 
this is often our human reaction as well. But we should also remember that this is not the end of Peter's journey. Because he always returns to communion with the Lord. Peter, he learns to think according to the will of God. As our Lord says in the Gospel of John, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go and dressed yourself. But when you're old, someone else will dress you. And they will take you to where you do not wish to go. Peter learned. He learned to love the Lord's will. And he literally takes up his cross and dies in imitation of him. Brothers and sisters, the cost of discipleship is high. In fact, it will cost us everything to follow Jesus faithfully. This is because to follow Jesus means to imitate him. Where the master goes, so also the disciple must follow. This means that we have to be willing to accept the cross in our lives. And not the cross that we'd want, not the cross that we think we need, but the cross that Jesus himself lets us have. Like all the prophets, like all the saints, like Christ himself, we must receive our cross. And that means, brothers and sisters, that sometimes, perhaps even often, despite our best efforts, we will fail from a human perspective. In our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships, even in ourselves. Even Christ fell in anguish on the road to Calvary. Should we expect anything different? Thus, let's make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters. We will be in anguish if we follow Christ because he will form his heart in us. Look at the lives of the saints, our blessed mothers, Irenaeus, Monica, Augustine, Dominic, Thomas, Francis, Ignatius, Teresa Benedicta, the little flower and her family, Mother Teresa, John of the Cross. You could go on and on, listen to the Roman canon that we'll pray in just a few minutes. Every saint encountered the cross in some way. There will be moments then, brothers and sisters, in discipleship's journey that will be of great pain for us. But we need to remember this. We have that pain only because God has given us the gift of sharing in his own still greater love for our brothers and sisters. I still thank God every day for the privilege of being able to be with that family in their suffering, to suffer with them, to be like Christ in that moment, to witness, to witness as a prophet to the hope which surpasses all human understanding. Because I was able to share in the anguish of Christ's own heart for them. Brothers and sisters, to share in the anguished heart which beats for every human soul, what greater joy could be found?